0: I'm Chip Granditz.
1: And I'm Shelley Schlender. Today is Tuesday, October 15th, 2019. Coming up, we'll be sharing a brand new book, Almost Human, the story of Julius, the chimpanzee caught between two worlds. We'll feature that on this science show. They were featuring a book, Almost Human, the story of Julius, the chimpanzee caught between two worlds about the most famous chimpanzee probably in Europe and perhaps one of them in the world. A chimpanzee that took Norway by storm as this wonderful chimp that had been adopted by a family when his mother rejected him, adopted and raised for the first two years of his life in a home with lots of television showing how this chimpanzee was living then this saga about how this chimpanzee would be able to get back to being with other chimpanzees is quite an amazing story. It will be something that we can offer you for a pledge drive, pledge of $60. And with me is Chip Grandis to tell us more about what it's like to be with KGNU as a volunteer on The Science Show.
0: Shelley, thanks. It's uh, wonderful to be on the show. It's amazing to think that... How on Earth has been part of KGNU's Tuesday morning lineup, I believe, since around 1991. So it is, by my calculations,
1: 28 years now that we've been on? 28 years, all volunteer-powered. KGNU's this incredible station where, with a small and mighty group of staff and a facility that is wonderful with good microphones, good transmission of sound, volunteers fill in a lot of the other things that happen. And so the people who you hear for the science show are all volunteers. Some of them are professional journalists. Some of them are scientists. Some of them are computer geeks. And together, we put on an award-winning show once a week because we care about science and we hope that you care about it too. And if you like it a lot, call us here at 303-449-4885 and pledge your support.
0: We are in the middle of KGNU's fall membership drive. Tuesday morning listeners have been faithful and good listeners and we have a goal of $500 for the show. If the science show is something that you have appreciated, uh, please choose to give us a call. You can call us at 303-449-4885 or pledge securely online at www.kgnu.org.
1: We want to give a special thanks to Molly Brown, who is giving a dollar-for-dollar matching challenge for How on Earth. Every contribution made during How on Earth will be doubled. Now, I know you've heard a lot of pledge pitching. We want to get to this book because this is a special book. This is a book that our news director, Maeve Conran, alerted us about early in the summer and said this is going to come out just in time for the pledge drive in the fall. And it looks like an unusual book. It's by an award-winning Norwegian author who has won awards for his biographies of people. You're going to hear why he did a biography about a chimpanzee. This book has gotten rave reviews from the New York Times. Jane Goodall calls it one of the most compelling books and most heartbreaking books about chimpanzees that's out there. Let's listen to a little bit of this, and then we'll talk about it some more. Alfred Fidgestel, you have written many biographies about humans. What kind of humans have you written about?
2: Norwegian artists, authors and uh, painters, yes.
1: You've written about many people in Norway who are famous, and you were curious about them. You've been awarded prizes for doing this, Mm. and now you've written a book about a chimpanzee.
2: (laughs) Yes, I did. Who's famous too? (laughs) It was a crazy idea. I got to visit the zoo, where this chimpanzee lives in Norway, uh, seven years ago, with my kids. He used to be very famous in Norway, so all uh, all people at my age know about him, because we saw him on television when we were kids. But my kids didn't know anything, so I had to tell them a little about his life. And when I told this, I suddenly heard, wow, <laughs> what a story this is. Wouldn't it be possible to write a biography about him, even though he's a chimpanzee?
1: You write in your book, Almost Human, that one of the things that compelled you to write this story is looking in the chimpanzee Julius's eyes.
2: Yes, it's a very fascinating animal. They are so human-like and still they are different. They somewhat reminded me of looking through a mask, meeting Santa Claus or something and you see the eyes and you know it's just daddy and still it isn't daddy. So, you've got, you got this feeling uh, there's someone there behind these eyes. I have to, uh, I want to know him.
1: And you did not say there is some creature there. You said there's someone, as though you feel that there is a, not a, quite a person, but equivalent to a person.
2: Yes, equivalent to a person. I think that's precise. Later, I read a lot of literature about chimpanzees, and many chimpanzee uh, researchers, they describe just the same feeling, that uh, it's something uh, fascinating, which is difficult to put words on in looking into these eyes. And uh, at Franz de Waal, one of the famous uh, Dutch chimpanzee researchers, he says just the same thing. It's someone there.
1: Someone there. Yes. Mm. Now, you knew about Julius the chimpanzee, the most famous chimpanzee ever in Norway and maybe in Europe when you were a child. Mm. How old is Julius now?
2: He's 40. Actually, he celebrated his 40th birthday yesterday, (laughs) although his actual birthday is uh, in Christmas. But they had a big party for him yesterday in the zoo.
1: What do you remember about Julius the chimpanzee when you were a kid?
2: Well, we saw him at the children's television, and that was because his mother, his chimpanzee mother, she rejected him, so he couldn't stay in the zoo. And a human family had to take him out, and he lived for two years in a human family. This was filmed and it was shown on television. And of course, it was fascinating as a child to see a chimpanzee living among other kids, playing with them, and just like a normal kid. Uh, there were three kids in a family, included including Julius, and they were they were just playing together. So it was uh, very fascinating to watch.
1: Mm. So, as a child, you would watch these tv programs about julius just living with this family where he was what a year old two years old yes and he was like a he was like a one-year-old or a two-year-old kid yes it
2: looked like that mm. uh, and uh, and the parents uh, treated the three kids very uh, in a similar way they they brushed the teeth of all the tree and they all took a bath that evening and they uh, and they changed the diapers and they put them to bed at uh, seven o'clock. <laughs> so uh, uh, at least the kids in his family, they uh, reckoned him a little brother. It was difficult for them to think of him as something else than a brother.
1: But the parents included the director of the zoo, meaning the the, pe- the humans who brought Julius in included the director of the zoo. And did the zoo director think of Julius as just another member of his family?
2: Uh, well, he would say no, he didn't. Uh, and the plan was always to reintroduce him to the chimpanzee community. They just had to wait for a year or two. But how easy is it to <laughs> reckon him just an animal? When you are carry him around in your arms, you're feeding him with a bottle, and you're treating him just the way you one or two years earlier treated your own daughters. So, although he uh, he knew that it was an animal and he should be replaced, uh, emotionally, it's, very, uh, it's a very difficult process for him.
1: But why didn't the family just keep him and let him be part of their family?
2: Yeah, because they knew that that wouldn't be possible. Uh, because um, chimpanzees, they are not uh, among the animals that we humans have domesticated. Uh, later in life, when a chimpanzee gets stronger and reaches puberty uh, after five, five, six, seven years then it would be dangerous to have a chimpanzee in the home.
1: You described some of those danger signals in really shocking detail about other families who have tried to raise a chimpanzee and ended up with terrible injuries or a terrible situation. Is there any person in the United States or in the world or anywhere who has ever successfully had a chimpanzee stay part of their family?
2: Possibly you might find one or two examples of someone who May have managed it, uh, but the, the normal option is that uh, it ends in disaster, because when the chimpanzee is eight, nine, ten years old, it's a dangerous animal to have in your house, and it's not possible to reintroduce them to any chimpanzee community because they are too different, and too human-like. So uh, the normal, uh, the normal conclusion in these kind of stories is a tragedy.
1: And when you say a tragedy. You mean either somebody gets very badly injured in the family of the chimpanzee or or they euthanize, they kill the chimpanzee. Yes. Mm.
2: That's the two options. Yeah.
1: Mm. So that's really what Julius faced as his options. This family that took him in didn't figure out a way to get him back to the zoo.
2: Yes. It would be difficult to bring him back to the zoo. And, uh, of course, the adults knew all the way that that might be... uh, the end of the story, if they didn't uh, succeed in bringing him back.
1: You're tuned to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Shelley Schlender. With me is Chip Granditz.
0: It is interesting. I think um, we may be, or we may know, people of very tender-hearted sensibilities who come to zoos with uh, conflicting emotions. In, in one sense, it's very, uh, you know, fascinating and entertaining to see animals and habitats. In another sense. Uh, you know, your your heartstrings are pulled as you feel for an animal in captivity. Uh, the story of Julius actually reminds me of a, of a children's story that I had read to my children a few years ago. In uh, 2013, Catherine Applegate uh, wrote a, a Newbery Medal Award-winning book called The One and Only Ivan. And it was a, a great story I read to my children about a zookeeper who had basically raised a gorilla as a pet. And it really... Uh, wasn't going well, and he tried to have a traveling zoo and circus, and, and that failed. And then there was the question of what are they going to do with the gorilla and the difficulties and issues um, with introducing the gorilla back into a wildlife refuge.
1: You know, Chip, I remember that too, the amazing Ivan, and really a compelling story with a lot of fiction in it. The incredible thing about this one, which we're offering to people who call in and pledge, is that Almost Human, the story of Julius the chimpanzee caught between two worlds, is written by a biographer of humans, and it's all factual. The whole thing is factual, even though it's this wildly improbable story. For instance, that music that we played at the end, you may have wondered why that music, that kind of happy, bouncy music. Well, that was the music that was used for fundraisers and presentations about Julius the chimpanzee who everybody knew from these charming television shows where this hidden story about what was happening with Julius and all the compelling need to get him back to a zoo before it was too late all of this was not public. And so instead, the persona of Julius for the public was of this just very happy little chimpanzee just making fun and happiness in all of his life. And here is this feeling, not human being, this feeling being that is caught between these two worlds. And it is a fascinating read. We really encourage you, if you are curious at all about animals, about feelings, about emotions of humans and animals or anything, it's fascinating. If you're encouraged to look at environmentalism and think, how do we do environmentalism to save different parts of the planet for the animals as well as for us? How do we act humanely for how we treat other beings? This is a fascinating book.
0: You brought Franz Waal in the interview. For those longtime listeners of How on Earth the New Science Show may recall about nine years ago, I had the honor and privilege of of interviewing Franz Waal on, on this very program. It was with a book called The Age of Empathy, and it was about chimpanzees. And an interesting story I can relate to you from that book is that chimpanzees have a sense of justice. They did an experiment where they gave a certain chimpanzee a cucumber to do a trick and they would give the chimpanzee a little cucumber slice. I think or maybe it was a capuchin monkey. It would do the trick and would be happy to do that. Then it would watch another chimpanzee being given a grape to do the same trick. And from the chimpanzee value system, a grape is a much, much better treat than a cucumber. And so the next time you go back to the original capuchin monkey and you offer the cucumber slice to do the trick, he throws the cucumber slice back in your face. He's like, I know the going rate for this trick is now much more than a cucumber. So it's interesting that the idea of what we think of internally in the mind of, a, of an animal was, I think, constrained by some of the legacies of behaviorism in the 1950s. The idea that if it's not measurable or weighable or quantifiable, then it's not real in science. And this really, I think, prohibited or constrain scientists who are conservative by nature from making the assertion that animals have feelings and in internal lives and I remember in that uh, science show interview about nine years ago Franz de Waal asserted he said I am putting a flag in the ground I'm asserting science has reached the consensus that animals have feelings and that if you are saying otherwise you are outside the consensus.
1: By the way, this is also a reason why we volunteers are here at The Science Show is because we're fascinated by things like this. We love to find out from the scientists, from the authors looking at these types of issues, why they're thinking as they're thinking, what we can learn about the world by hearing what they have to say. We love sharing that with you, our listeners. It is such a wonderful connection to have, to have people who care about these kinds of topics. And we're so grateful that you listen to The Science Show. You can help us out a great deal by pledging your support. Uh, you can get this book, Almost Human, The Story of Julius the Chimpanzee Caught Between Two Worlds as your pledge drive premium. Also, if you really like science and you'd like to be helping out with the science show, we're always looking for volunteers. That's another way that you can pledge your support is to be part of the science show yourself and be part of this amazing, very rare thing called community radio. It's not very often in the United States that there are places where you can be on the radio yourself or you can listen to people where they're not encumbered by having to be answerable to corporate sponsors and all of the rest. They are here because they love to share information and learn about things, share music, all of these wonderful sanctified things that happen through the fact that people who are listening support the station. So those are ways that you can help out.
0: Shelley, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank some of the people that have contributed. Aziza in Boulder loves Alan Watts, Democracy Now!, Tributaries!, and very much appreciates KGNU.
1: And I see that Jennifer in Lakewood says, I love Tuesday and Alan Watts along with Democracy Now. She plays KGNU on the radio at work and shares it with a lot of people and appreciates the perspective d- of Democracy Now. Michael from Fort Collins called in. He's a new member. Thank you so much. He took the book Banking on the People by Ellen Brown, which is a reminder that there's a lot of different books, a lot of different thank yous you can get.
0: One of the things that draws me into uh, doing science journalism in the science show is Sort of the way at least I learned science in the public school system, it was a few years ago that I, I went to school, uh, you learn some facts and you lose some formulas and the, the biographies of the scientists themselves are very skeletal. And so as we were talking earlier in the show about how uh, people have a tender-hearted sensibility, they come to a zoo with conflicts, they think about a a career in science, this calling of science. Perhaps they remember middle school having to dissect the frog, uh, and they think, "Do I have to set aside these tender-hearted sensibilities and become sort of cold-hearted to be a scientist?" And and I'm not going to claim to have the wisdom to answer that question to tell you what the answer is. But I think to know something like that what you would like to do is come to the scientists and have them speak about their theories and ideas in their own words. And that's what we offer here on How on Earth.
1: That is what we offer. And now we're going to offer you more about this interview with Alfred Fidgestal, the author of Almost Human, the biographer who wrote a biography about a chimpanzee. This will be a segment about when Julius the chimpanzee is at the zoo and he's troubled by the fact that the lead chimpanzee is always persecuting him so he decides to escape this is kind of graphic so get ready for some of the things that happened once he was at the zoo here we go and it will start with some of that kind of weird music that was used to publicize the fact that julius was having a fun and lighthearted life even though he wasn't we'll start with some of that music and then go right into the interview <laughs>
2: The leader of chimpanzees obviously hated Julius, and they were fighting daily. Julius's solution to this problem was to escape.
1: How do you escape from a zoo, though? I mean, how do you escape from a zoo that's made to keep you in? They still don't know how he escaped. And he was the only chimpanzee
2: who ever made it from this zoo.
1: In your book, Almost Human, you talk about how one day Julius was just sitting there for a long time, looking around, and processing just like somebody a great scientist will just sit and process for a while and all of a sudden the eureka light bulb goes on above their head well your description is the same thing happened with julius when he figured out how to escape from the roof yes from the ceiling of the enclosure he was in <gasps> he thought the same way that you or i would think
2: did one escape that was observed and that was when he climbed uh, along the roof And just as you say, he obviously was thinking how to escape. And he was looking at the roof and thinking and thinking. And suddenly he saw a route, a possible way out and found it and managed to get out. But the other escapes, they were all from the chimp island when he was outside. And then he had to pass this water moat around the island. And chimpanzees can't swim. And they know that they can't swim. So they're afraid of water. But he still uh, somehow got over this moat out in the park.
1: Well, what's wrong with being out in the park among the people and the other animals?
2: (laughs) Well, uh, he was too big. and The last escape then was 12 years old, and a 12-year-old male chimpanzee is uh, six times stronger than a human male. Uh, and he uh, escaped the last time because he wanted to take the garbage collector in the park.
1: Can you tell the story of why he wanted to go after the garbage collector?
2: and yeah. We don't know exactly why, but uh, probably because um, the garbage collector was collecting garbage just outside his sleeping apartment every afternoon at seven o'clock. And uh, this garbage collecting, uh, it makes a lot of rattle, and this rattle has somehow annoyed Julius.
1: You also mentioned that the garbage collector would kind of jeer at Julius, meaning that he would be rude to him. If it was a person, you would say he was rude. How, how did he express his feeling toward Julius there in the zoo?
2: By body language, uh, with his hands, uh, like we do if we are uh, annoyed by someone.
1: So the garbage collector would shake his fist? Yes,
2: yes, because Julius was uh, in a cage, so it was not dangerous, the garbage collector thought.
1: Julius got to see the garbage collector making all this racket and also shaking his fist and doing other things to show that he was kind of taunting Julius. And, And then one day...
2: One day in the summer of 1992, uh, Julius had planned a revenge. (laughs) And then uh, Julius uh, had obviously a concept of time. Uh, He knew that the garbage collector arrived at seven o'clock every afternoon. So just before seven, he snuck out from this chimpanzee island very discreetly. And no one saw it. And then he hid in the forest behind a souvenir shop waiting for the garbage collector. And when the car came, Julius leaped out. And, uh, and then the driver tried to drive off, uh, but he couldn't drive fast enough inside a zoo where there still were kids and families. Uh, and his window was open. Uh, and Julius ran alongside the car and jumped in through the window. And then he, he ended up on the driver's lap and bit his hand, uh, leaving a large scar from the finger into the palm of his hand.
1: So he bit the finger of the garbage collector. Yeah, or the the
2: whole hand, actually. So the driver had to go for hospital for two weeks, and uh, he got a huge scar in his hand. And still today, this is 27 years ago, still today this driver hasn't gained fully control over this uh, left hand. So it was a very serious incident.
1: Very serious incident that also showed that chimpanzees have feelings, they can hold a grudge, they can plan revenge. Yes. This garbage collector was really lucky that he was not killed, you think? Uh,
2: well, that's, that's a difficult question. Uh, if he was lucky or if uh, Julius uh, felt that his punishment was just enough. Because it's, it's, it's such a similar situation uh, to the things you mentioned with biting of fingers. So, so maybe this was just what the uh, Julius had in mind. But, uh, of course, the the driver felt it like a life-threatening incident and was so scared as possible.
1: Was this something that came out in the news in Norway, or was this something that you discovered when you researched some of the challenges of keeping Julius in the zoo? I didn't
2: discover it. The garbage collector told it 25 years later. So a few years before my book was made, it was written about it in one Norwegian newspaper. But when it happened, nothing came out in the media, although Julius was still very famous and lots of people had to know about this.
1: People didn't know about the fact that he had actually attacked somebody one time. Instead, they knew about the fact that he was still pretty adorable, that the zoo was trying to match him up with some mates and see if they he would become a father. They knew about this kind of side of him. And they didn't know as much about the other escapes of Julius. And while this one that you wrote about, The Garbage Collector, was scary, there were also some very poignant escapes, where obviously he was dangerous, but obviously, too, he was looking for the people he grew up with.
2: Yes. Mm. So uh, that's the heartbreaking part of it uh, that is... uh, Although he's dangerous, of course, and he has changed a lot since he was little and cute, he's still he's still obviously longing for the people he used to live with. And um, he still loves them. And when they visit him today, uh, for instance, the kids, the, the two small girls that were four years and two years when they were living uh, with Julius, they are now uh, over 40 years old, grown up adult woman, women, and still he recognizes them immediately when they are coming to the park. Uh, and he wants to be as close as possible with them. And They can go backstage with the caretakers and visit him with the bars in, one of the cages. And then he wants to cuddle them and kiss them through the bars and give them massage. And he's so, he's so obviously longing for them. And still, he still loves them. And uh, and it's uh, although it's a story of impossible love. Of course, they can't be together. It's too dangerous. So it's a a very heartbreaking thing to watch.
1: Has he ever hurt the people he grew up with?
2: No, never. And and they say to me that they would not be afraid uh, of getting into his cage. They think that would be completely safe and maybe they are right, but uh, they are not allowed. No one uh, wants to take that
1: risk. We've been talking with the author of Almost Human, The story of Julius the chimpanzee caught between two worlds. I'm Shelley Schlender. My host has been Chip Granditz, here to tell those who have been calling in to pledge the support. Thank you again for calling 303-449-4885. And you can also donate online at kgnu.org.
0: Yes, um, we just have a few more minutes left in the science show. And I want to remind people that thanks to Molly Brown, we have a dollar for dollar matching challenge for this show and Alan Watts. So every contribution made during this show and made during Alan Watts coming up will be doubled. So uh if almost human is something you would like as a token of our appreciation, the real uh consideration we give to you is the KGNU programming three hundred and sixty-five days a year, but as a special token of appreciation, you can take this book almost human. It's interesting. I remember uh as I went to school, the admonition we received be careful not to anthropomorphize and uh, you know smart aleck middle school kids would say I'm not even able to say anthropomorphize so I don't think I'm going to do it Um, but it is sort of a conflicting emotion we get Um, it is very easy as a child we talked about children's book earlier in the show to look at an animal and just assume and project human feelings emotions and characteristics upon it it is interesting to see how science is now investigating to see whether such things are real or there are own projections